the prophets and kings of old wrote plenty about the handiwork of God. By the word of the Lord of the heavens, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deeps and storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. Worthy art thou, I use an old King Jimmy on this one. Worthy art thou, our Lord our, and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou didst create all things, and because of thy will, they existed, and we were created. And Revelation 4. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praise to our God on the harp, who covers the heaven with clouds, who provides for the, uh, for the earth, who makes the grass to grow on the mountains. He gives to the beast its food, and to the young ravens which cry, Praise to the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. For he has strengthened the bars of your gates. He has blessed your sons within you. He makes peace for your borders. He satisfies you with the finest of the wheat. He sends forth his command to the earth. His word runs very swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters the frost like ashes. He casts forth his ice as fragments. Who can stand before his cold? He sends forth his word and melts them. He causes his wind to blow and to waters to flow. Psalm 147. Famous hymns in the uh, days of old, 1700s, 1800s. How great thou art, thou art. When through the woods of, I try not to sing this while I read it. <clears throat> when through the woods and forest glades I wander and hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees. When I look down from lofty mountains grander and hear the brook and feel the gentle breeze. Then sings my soul, my savior God to thee, how great thou art. My favorite, great is thy faithfulness. Summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above. Join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness unto me. Another hymn, Fairest Lord Jesus. Fair are the meadows, fair are still the woodlands. Robed in the blossoming garb of spring, Jesus is fairer, Jesus is purer. What, who makes the woeful heart to sing? Fair is the sunshine, fairer and still the moonlight. Robed in the blossoming garb of spring, Jesus shines brighter, Jesus shines purer than all the angels heaven can boast. No one on this earth is exempt and or can escape the reality of God's handiwork. For the wrath of God revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of, then, of men, who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of his world, his visible attributes, invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through that which has been made, so that they are without excuse. Romans chapter 1. How about Job, the famous story of Job who questioned God, questioned God's decision-making and, and why he was doing this to him. 
Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set the measurements since you know? Or who you stretched a line on it? Or who stretched a line on it? And what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. That rebuke that God gave to Job lasted for two more chapters. <laughs> Three whole chapters. God just continued to express his handiwork. David spoke of this creation, uh, handing it in a framework of laws and psalms. The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. Then he has placed a tent for the sun, which is, the, which is as the bridegroom coming out of his, her chamber, his chamber. It rejoices as a straw man to run his course, its rising from one and of the heavens, and its circuit unto the other end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. In Psalm 19. So after reading all this and watching that video, what does this implicate? What are the implications of knowing this knowledge? These uh, prophets of old and David, uh, writers in the Bible, did not have this knowledge, did not have the capability to see the expanse of this universe. Yet they knew from seeing the world around them that there was a creator. They knew that the things worked. The sun came up, the sun went down, the moon came up, the tide did their thing, the plants were watered, food was provided. Something was at work in the world that they lived in. So what are we to do with this knowledge? Another scripture, I, even I, am he who comfort you. Who are you that are afraid of a man who dies and of the son of man who is made like grass, that you have forgotten the Lord your maker who stretched out the heavens and laid the corner foundations of the earth, that you fear continually all day long because of the fury of the oppressor as he makes ready to destroy? But where is the fury of the oppressor? The exile will soon be set free and, then, and will not die in the dungeon, nor will his bread be lacking, for I am the Lord your God, who stirs up the sea and its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name, and I have put my words in your mouth, and I have covered you with the shadow of my hand to establish the heavens, to found the earth, and to say to Zion, you are his people. Amen? Isaiah 51. So that's what... Uh, one implication of knowing the expanse of this universe and what it means is you shall not fear. Do not fear the oppressor. Do not fear those in the world within spiritual, natural, that would try to oppress you and take your voice, to take your knowledge of what you know to be true. <clears throat> so here we are, Isaiah 51. So, when you think of this, I don't know about you, but when I read that, I immediately think, wow. Wow, we are the people of God, and God calls us his own? The God who created that universe that we just watched? He, has spent, he, he could live trillions of light years away in another galaxy and just leave us alone. Yet he calls you by name. He knows the number of hairs on your head. 
That is serious, serious implications. So we see how God sets things in motion. He is not contingent. He is necessary. And if he created a world full of people that with their own free will might worship him. We are dependent on him. Sin messed things up, but a Savior comes and sets things right. That alone compels us to worship him. Let me make a little pivot here of all of this that we just read. From Psalms, Isaiah, the three hymns, and there's many others that talked about the creation of God. When you are on the right side of things and sent out, you immediately feel confidence. And what I mean by that is, if you know your stuff and you know who you are, there is no fear of expressing that. But if you are not confident about who you are and what you are, you're going to stumble. You're going to be a little timid. You're going to be a little fearful. When you know that you are talking about what you're talking about and also efficiently know how to answer the questions that come your way, whether in your mind, external, books you read, whatever that question, I wonder what that means. You naturally feel emboldened. My help comes from the Lord, right? This is why, from the get-go, the Antichrist spirit moves without hesitation to confuse and to muddle this up. That spirit that wants to twist and to manipulate and to conflate everything and make it weird and, under, and hard to understand, especially in the world we live in today, it's pushing hard and it never sleeps. Never sleeps. While you sleep, it is constantly still working to destroy that which God has created. Creation is constantly being bombarded with naturalism and humanism. Which is why I wanted to start from the video today. I want you to be able to wake up in the morning and remember that video. I want you to remember that in spite of everything that God said and just spoke forth, that he is the same God that lives in your heart. That ginormous Milky Way that's far beyond the capability of us understanding and there's a galaxy next to it that's even bigger. It makes the Milky Way look like a dot. That is amazing. It is truly amazing, the handiwork of God. Creation, oops, sorry. You should be confident and you should be a master of warfare. If your God is the same God who created this universe and he tells you you have a weapon, use it. Trust me, it'll work. You should say that when you're ready to drive out the enemy and scatter their camps, you should say it with authority. Get out, I command you in the name of the Lord. As we see nature in the hands of God, he see fit where it goes and the people of this earth. Actually, it might be too large to think of the people of the earth. So the people of Clearwater, the people of Pinellas County, this little speck on the world if you will, is just as important to God and the whole world, right here where we live, right where, where we're at. The people of Clearwater and Pinellas County need God and our responsibility as stewards. As stewards, because Jesus said, go out. Go out. He didn't, he didn't send you without weapons. He said, don't hide. He said, don't worry. He said, I have given you the tools. I have given you a comforter, a guide. The earth, as scripture says, eagerly awaits for the adoption and fruition of the sons of men. Jesus said to the Pharisees when they tried to question him about 
about a, a law that they knew to had to practice, Jesus said, if I remain silent on this subject, the stones will cry out. And that was true. When he said, it is finished, and he became silent, what happened? The temple broke in two. The graves were open. The world shook, and the stones shook. That's no surprise, because Jesus also spoke to the water to be calm. Jesus also said, I'm going to walk in this water. Jesus also said to the fig tree, wither up and die, and it withered up and died. And then he also said, grow and be plentiful, and it became plentiful. God has the command of nature, and that God lives in you. Jesus said to the Pharisees, I'm going to say it again, if I remain silent, then the stones will cry out. The purpose of God's eternal plan for creation is to display his glory. Nature reveals the glory of God, and nature not only serves to reveal God to men, but is also used of God to fulfill his purposes and promises. Nature demonstrates his eternal power. This has been given to you. Let me make sure I... Uh, when uh, I spoke of the word contingent, you all know what contingent means? God is not contingent because he is not uh, self-existent. He is self-existent. We, being mortal beings, filled with the Spirit of God, are contingent. That means that we have, uh, this, the word means, uh, for, for, I hate that word because I can't say it right, fortunate, but it's fortuitous. There we go. We are fortuitous to even exist, and our existence depends on the Creator making us be. We are because he said you are. Amen. That kind of concept of relationship is so crucial as you work and, and walk about your day as Christians. You are so much more than what you see in the mirror. You're so much more than this mortal host that you carry. Nature demonstrates his eternal power, and this has been given to you. You know, a little nod to the environmentalists of today. Of course, we shouldn't poison our water and chop down the trees and, and make our earth look bad. But there's another aspect of what the world is trying to do, is to try to twist your thinking of what the earth is. Our job is not to save earth. Our job is to save people. Amen. To preach the word and preach the gospel and preach the good news. And this is why. Just from our limited reading we have done today, we see that the earth responds to what we do. If we push righteousness and holiness in our lives and share what the dangers of sin are to the world, when that becomes uh, evident in everything that we do, the earth responds because the earth is groaning for that. The earth is desperate for that. I think the earth doesn't forget what it was when God first created it. It has a memory of what God meant earth to be. When it becomes taboo or uh, intolerant to speak of those things, about righteousness and holiness, that's when the earth suffers. When we become silent, the earth suffers. Sin corrupts and then sin destroys. It is what encourages today the thought of euthanasia, of uh, the culling of the old, the abortion uh, topic. It's what pushes that because when man doesn't have a God, the threat he sees to the world is man himself. Isn't that twisted? We are the threat to the world, therefore we need to reduce. That's just a you know, dangerous way of thinking, but it should not be surprising. That's what sin does. It makes us the enemy. 
instead of the sameness in the world. Nature's present agony is the result of man's fall and the curse of sin, but its hope is man's redemption and his own through the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, his kingdom, and the revelation of the sons of God. I admit that it, was, uh, it seemed to be a big task to rescue the world, if you will. It took thousands of years to get to three billion people and a little less than a hundred years to get to seven billion. Just think about that. The immediate increase of the amount of people on this earth. And it was due to largely medicine and modern advancements of technology. But that increase of population, if you really think about it, is by God's design. God doesn't want three billion people in heaven. He wants 10 billion people in heaven. Why just settle for the small amount? It rapidly increased, but it also gave us that more of an opportunity to minister and bring more lost people into the kingdom of God. Think about that. In spite of this, we still have responsibility. Being chief stewards of the earth, one would think that we have a certain status that we could claim. You know, we're, we're the sons and daughters of God, therefore we have a special uh, privilege to live in this world. We have a special line, a red phone, direct line to the big guy. But actually, Jesus says, he talks about humility. He talks about serving others and being an example, taking, making a sacrifice like the good Samaritan. At the same time, we are told to be bold ambassadors of the truth, to be wise and gentle, and to always be ready to give an account or defense of what we believe in with gentleness and respect. Simply, we are commanded to do two things, to love your God with everything you have, your whole being, and to love others as he has loved them. And how did God love the world? By giving his life. He gave his life to the world so that they would be free. So what do we do? How do we apply this before we leave today? What you have to decide in the light of this video presentation, it touched me in a way that, you know, it's going to be on my top 10 list of things I remember touching me. I hope it did to you today. You have to decide what you want to do. What are you waiting for? Now, I read a lot of scriptures, but let's turn to your Bibles here. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others say he's Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Also, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Then, we warn, then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. From the time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and be raised up on the third day. Peter famously took him aside and said, God forbid it, 
you shall not, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Let behind me, Satan, you are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Mm. We don't allow that in this world today, aren't we? Thinking too much about man's interests. Then Jesus said to the disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. But what will profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man gain, give in exchange for his soul? What I really want to drive home here today and make you uh, see is the triumphant authority of this promise. Evangelism is not ultimately dependent on human initiative or human wisdom or human perseverance. It is ultimately dependent on the power and wisdom and faithfulness of the risen and living Christ to keep his promise. His promise was, I will build my church, not you will build my church or missionaries will build my church or pastors will build my church. He said, I will build my church. This is the point uh, what Matthew was trying to show in, when he entered the gospel in chapter 28, where Jesus says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. I have authority to do it over all the powers of darkness, over death and hell, over governments and terrorists, and I will do it. I will build my church. You go, and I will be with you. The point is, we need the Holy Spirit to reveal to men and women who Christ really is. Many call him all those other things. We find that in so many religions, in literally every, almost every religion there is out there, recognizes who Christ is. That he was a man of God, he was a man of God, not a son of God. He was a man of God, he was a preacher, a prophet, a teacher of the law. They all recognize that he existed, but they all got it wrong. He, but Jesus said to Peter, flesh and blood hasn't revealed that to you. So what is our job as Christians is to evangelize that you need to know the Christ, the Son of the living God. You don't need to know who Jesus is. You don't need to know why he came and did what he did. You need to know who he is. You don't need to know why he died on the cross and rose again even. You just need to know who he is. The Holy Spirit will reveal that to you. That is what revealed to all of us in our hearts. That's what makes him real to us. That's what makes you stand in the face of adversity and oppression. Peter got it right. Who do you say that I am? He said, you are the Christ, the Son of living God. The God who built this enormous universe is behind you. He has called you. And he said, don't hide. He has said, you won't be alone. And he also said, I have given you the keys to the kingdom. God's handiwork is a is astonishing. It couldn't it even couldn't use human words to try to depict the handiwork. It is so massive that it's hard to really keep it wrapped around our finite minds. If the sheer size of this creation, the sheer size of this universe, puts a little perspective in your mind today, if it puts a little jolt in your step, if it inspires you just a little bit more than it was when you first came in, or maybe a part of you died this also this morning, the part that resists moving forward because of fear. And maybe you have been refused, infused with a little confidence and that you would uh, you know, have a different attitude and perspective in the next day. If all these things 
have changed your mind today, then I would ask you to stand. Let's make a declaration today that we as a church want to step up our game a little.